to take a little reprieve or interrupt our series called Belief in, in the Age of Skepticism to talk about something that I think, I just thought this was appropriate to talk about in light of the way that our lives are still being interrupted. And I think that to some degree or another, they'll continue to be interrupted until Jesus comes all the way back and everything's set right the way that it's supposed to be. So, so anyways, I thought it would be appropriate uh, to spend some time talking today about endurance and affliction. And what I'm really getting at when I say endurance and affliction, I'm talking about how are we supposed to respond when life just doesn't go the way that we thought it was supposed to go, or when life unfolds in such a way that it leaves us wounded as a result of maybe something that's happened to us or something that, that someone's done to us. And, and, and I don't have to convince you of this. I'm sure you know that life rarely, if we could quantify this, I think we'd discover that it rarely goes the way that we wanted it to or the way that we thought it would. And, and, and here's what I've noticed happens when our plans blow up or things go wrong or someone hurts us or we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis. I think when, when we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis, really the crisis kind of serves as this proverbial magnifying glass and what it helps us discover or what it quickly reveals is that we're, it reveals how little control we really have. I think to an extent it reveals that we're a lot less mature, grown, developed as we thought we were. We're not as patient, we're not as loving, we're not as kind, we're not as long-suffering, we're not as self-controlled, we're not as humble, we're not as wise as we thought. And, and really, um, when all of that unfolds in such a way as to reveal those things, those things what we're coming to grips more deeply than perhaps ever, what we're coming to grips with is, is our humanity. And the fact that we're flawed, the fact that we're weaker than we thought we were, and the reality is things can happen to us that leave us wounded. And I think in many ways, these past couple of years in particular have felt a lot like a battle that's left a lot of people wounded, angry, discontent, discouraged to some degree or another. I think their relationships, we've experienced relationships that have absolutely ruptured. I think some of us have discovered along the way that the people who we thought we could trust, we just can't trust them. And I think, um, generally speaking, I think it's hard to know who to listen to right now. I think it's hard to distinguish and discern who's actually telling the truth. And what that leads to is it makes it a heck of a lot easier. I think right now, perhaps, is one of the easiest times to hate or resent people that just don't see it the way that you see it or disagree with you. And all of that leads me to believe uh, that there are a lot more people, I think this is possible, that there are a lot more of us walking around wounded than we realize. And so that's what I'm offering. But, and if there's any truth to that, I think a reasonable response would be to try to figure out how is it that we're supposed to respond to all this adversity we face and the wounds that we tend to incur in this life. And I th- I, I'm of the mind that, that, that thinks how we respond to the affliction and the adversity and the wounding, how we respond to that either is going to lead to healing or it's going to lead to deeper hurt. And wh- when I examine my own life and I take a peek around at, at the lives of other folks, I see three ways that we tend to respond when it comes to affliction or discouragement or disappointment or a situation or a scenario in which we're left feeling 
wounded. I'm, I'm sure there are others, but there are, these three seem really, really clear to me, and maybe they'll resonate with you as well. Uh, one response we have is, is we'll just get all out aggressive. We dig our heels in. We lash out at whatever or whoever it is that we feel is the cause of our pain or our disappointment. Um, a, a second response involves jumping ship, or we cut ties, we cut and run, we walk away from whoever or whatever has stripped us of our uh, whatever it was that we thought we were looking for or stripped us of any semblance of purpose in our lives. We just walk all the way away. And then a third response involves us uh, kind of burying our heads in the sand because ultimately we just feel stuck because of our circumstances or because of the wounding that we've experienced, we know deep down that something either went wrong, something is wrong, or somebody's wounded us. We just can't seem to muster up the courage to actually address the things that need to be addressed so that we can heal from those things. And so just for the record, so we're all clear, and I don't sound like some pious guy standing up here trying to convince you of something that I haven't, that I haven't even learned. Um, this is a lesson for all of us as far as I'm concerned. I've test-driven all three of these responses to some degree or another in my life, and here's what I can attest to. I think that they are great ways to get a little bit of reprieve between you and whoever or whatever wounded you. I think they'll give you some temporary relief, but I, I don't think that they're going to lead to the place of healing that you actually want to get. And I don't think that they're going to prevent you from becoming the kind of person who's driven by bitterness, anger, and resentment. And, and I'm just offering that because I don't think there's a person listening to this or in this room today that wants to be that kind of person. I know I don't. And, and what I have discovered uh, is that what I need more than reprieve or an escape from what I'm facing is I, I, I need endurance. I need the endurance to face anything that comes my way. If I want to grow in love, if I want to grow in peace and joy and patience and kindness and humility and gentleness and self-control, and mind you, these are the attributes of a life transformed by Jesus, I need the endurance to face things like disappointment and failure and the wounds that others inflict on me. And if I want to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus, and I want to see our church be the kind of church that plays a part in Anne Arundel County being renewed by the power of God and the presence of God, I'm going to need a supernatural endurance. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm kind of learning, I guess, as time goes by is what I might need the most endurance to face more than anything else, more than, you know, a, a mask main, mandate or an executive order or whatever the next thing is that's coming down the pipeline, what I need more endurance uh, for than anything else is the endurance to face myself. Because here's what, here's what I have learned about myself. The biggest threat to my growth isn't a plot twist. It's not a circumstance that I can't control. It's not a sickness. It's not the people around me. It's not conflict. It's not any of that. The biggest threat to my growth as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a leader, it, it, the biggest threat to all of that is me and how I respond when life leaves me wounded. And over the last two years in particular, I'm just going to assume, I think this is a relatively safe assumption, that many of us have been wounded to some degree or another by someone or something, and you, did, you really didn't even see it coming. And if you want to experience healing from those wounds, I think we need the endurance to face whatever it was and whoever it was that's wounded us. 
So to help us understand the kind of endurance that I believe we need to navigate uh, living in a wounded world as people who have been wounded, uh, I want to look at an excerpt from a letter that was written during the first century. Um, it was written by a man that, that we, we commonly refer to as the Apostle Paul. He was a follower of Jesus during the first century. And, 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 and during that time, life was characterized by epidemics, political tension, backstabbing, injustice. I mean, you, you name it, it was going on. That was the backdrop. And I'd say in some ways very similar to the backdrop of the, the, the day and age that we're navigating. In some ways perhaps worse. Um, but amidst all of that, Paul takes the time to write this letter to Christians living in Rome. And in chapter 12 of the letter, what we find is an incredible passage of what a life transformed by Jesus is supposed to look like. And at the center of chapter 12, what we're going to see is one of the key characteristics to a life transformed by Jesus. And what we're going to find is that that key characteristic is this thing called endurance. And so there are four Four things I want to draw out of this passage that I think can help us develop the kind of endurance that will allow us to respond to the wounds that we incur in this life in a way that actually leads to healing. So first, I want to talk about the dynamics of that endurance. I want to talk about the aim of endurance. I want to talk about the way of endurance. And then lastly, I want to, I want to share what I believe is the secret to endurance. So if you have your Bible... Or, or you're, you're, you know, you're dialing in with an app or on your mobile device. If you have that with you, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 21. In uh, picking up in verse 12, here's, what, here's what's there. It says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, be in agreement with one another, do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves, instead leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So first, the dynamics of, of endurance. Uh, so, so verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. And that word, that word patient in there, when it says be patient in affliction, really what that word means is to endure. It means endurance. It, it means be the kind of person who has the endurance to face anything. And, and what we see in this passage is that it's, it, th this kind of endurance, it's enveloped with hope and prayer. In, in other words, it's saturated with hope in prayer. And so it's not an obligation to keep going no matter how painful life gets. Uh, what it is is an outward expression of an internal hope that makes it possible to be the kind of person who's calm and poised even when everything around you is falling apart. Endurance, at least from my vantage point, is a mindset that's rooted in the belief that hope is always on the way. And you, you might be going through a circumstance right now that makes it feel like hope is so far off or it can't come soon enough. But the reality is the future is bright. The best is yet to come. Hope 
is on the way. And people with this kind of endurance, and, and Paul was a person with this kind of endurance, and it was, it was enveloped in like, it was, it was held up with, with this hope that is beyond our wildest dream, I think, the, the hope that Paul was really t- telling people to rejoice in during the first century is the same hope that we need now because it's a hope that can withstand the test of tribulation, the test of time, the test of any of the brutal realities that this life might throw at us. It's built on the promise of Jesus' resurrection. And so, so just to offer you a little thing, something to think about when it comes to what we put our hope in. There, there's, a, there's a proverb, Proverbs 12, uh, verse 13. It has something I think that, that I think is pretty helpful for us to hear. The first half of verse 13 says this. It says, a hope deferred can make the heart sick. And what, what I think that means is be careful. Be careful about what or who you put your hope in. Be careful to not put your hope into someone or something that really cannot withstand the test of the brutal realities that we face in this life. And then the the second half of verse 13, here's what it says. It says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And that tree of life is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the one thing capable of fulfilling the deepest longings of our hearts. It's the only hope that cannot be extinguished. It's the only hope capable of giving us the kind of endurance to face the wounding and the painful realities of this life in a way that can bring healing. And I, I want to share a little story with you that I think highlights uh, this kind of endurance, an endurance that's really like it's, it finds at its core uh, a belief that hope is coming. And so on September 9th, Back in 1965, there was a guy by the name of Admiral Jim Stockdale. Maybe, and there's a chance you may have heard this story because it's a pretty amazing story. Um, but anyways, he's flying his A-4 Skyhawk, and he takes on enemy fire, and he ends up, his plane ends up crashing. And when it does, he becomes a POW during the Vietnam War. And now if you rewind the tape a little bit, what you will learn about Stockdale is that he graduated from the Naval Academy in the 1940s, and then he goes on, if you fast forward a little bit, he goes on to become one of the most highly decorated officers in the history of the Navy. He was the only three-star admiral to ever wear both aviator wings and receive the Medal of Honor. And if you asked him what he would tell you is those, those things weren't the most galvanizing things that happened to him. Receiving accolades were not the most galvanizing aspects of his life, what he would say is accolades aside, there was something far more galvanizing in his life. And what it was is when he was in prison during the Vietnam War. And so here's what, here's what he ends up, ends up happening to Admiral Stockdale. For seven years, he's a POW. For four of those years, he's held in solitary confinement. For two of those years, his legs were locked in leg irons. And then during that entire time, he was physically tortured more than 15 times. So, so, so Stockdale endures everything that that POW camp used to try to destroy him. Somehow he survives, and he's released in 1973. And then years later, uh, he was asked this question in an interview. And I think this is the question that probably most people have in light of a story like this. How is it? Like, how is it that you survived when so many people fell victim to that same POW camp? They asked him, how did you survive? And here's what he said. And I think this is so important. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, 
but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. But he went on and he says something else that I think is even more powerful than that, more important than that. Um, and he actually, he, he like framed what he said next in this way. He said, literally, what I'm about to say next is the lesson, the, the, the takeaway from all of this. And he said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end as a reason to avoid confronting the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. I think what he was getting at was this notion that how we endure the most painful parts of life really can be a declaration of where our hope lies or where we've placed our hope. And I think that, for, from, from my vantage point, it's a pretty powerful perspective because what it helps me understand is that endurance doesn't mean rejecting all the painful parts of, of reality so that I can make it to some proverbial finish line. It doesn't mean that I'm never going to be beat down or exhausted or tired or overwhelmed or frustrated or feel like I want to give up. Endurance is what will allow people like us to look ahead to the finish line while adequately facing the things that are in front of us right now, however painful they may be. And not just facing them, but embracing them as part of the journey, part of our own growth and development. You see, endurance is what frees us from being taken hostage by the wounds that we incur in this life. So that the primary, the primary dynamic, if I had to distill this to one thing, the primary dynamic of endurance is that it's a mindset rooted in hope. So that's the dynamic, the dynamics of, of endurance. Next, I want to look at the aim of it. And really what I'm getting at is the purpose that I believe endurance that's rooted in hope can accomplish in our lives. So pick up with me in verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. What, what we're encountering here is a very specific kind of affliction. It's one that I think probably all of us have experienced to some degree or another. It's being wounded by another person. I think um, we've all had some encounter with another person that has left us wounded. That's why I find this highly relatable. So that's verse 14. Then you go down to verse 17, and what we're going to find is what we're supposed to avoid when that happens. This is like how you're not supposed to respond when you get wounded by someone else. Here's what it says, and this is a, this is a tough word. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. In other words, don't retaliate. All right, so there's that, how not to respond. And then you get to verse 21, and I think it ties these two things together. And it shows us how we're supposed to respond. And it also highlights the fact that how we respond is either going to lead to healing or it's going to lead to us being held hostage by our wounds and the people who've wounded us. Here's what it says. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So you bundle all these three verses together, and, and, and I think we find that the aim of endurance, an endurance that's rooted in hope, the aim of it, the purpose of it, is healing. And according to verse 21, when someone wounds you and you retaliate or want to see them suffer the same way that they made you suffer or even worse, you're just standing in the way of your own healing. And more importantly, you're opening yourself up to becoming the kind of person who wounds other people. You see, people who are un unhealthy end up having really unhealthy expectations of the people around them. And so if we don't heal, we, we, we run the risk of causing the same degree or some degree of harm 
to the people that are in our path. And, and, and according to, to Romans 12, verse 21, we're told that the only way to overcome becoming that kind of person, the only way to heal is to respond to the people who have wounded us by doing good. And I can't think of, I, I can't think of something that would require more hopeful, prayer-saturated endurance than doing good to the people who wound us. The other thing that I think this verse um, highlights is that our wounds, gone unhealed, undealt with, have the power to distort the way that we see others and the way we see ourselves. You see, when someone hurts us and we stay angry with them, even if it's just low-key, even if it's like low-grade, you can keep it under the radar most of the time, every once in a while it rears its head, even if it's low-key, eventually here's what happens. Your view of that person can become so distorted that you'll only ever see them through the lens of the pain that they caused you. And here's why. At least this is why it's the case for me. So please don't judge me. I rewind the tapes and I'll run it back and I'll examine every word they said and everything that they did. And I'm not doing that because I'm trying to deeply understand them. I'm just nursing anger, resentment. I'm nursing the pain, and and what I end up doing over time is, and maybe you've done this too, is I distort, I absolutely distort the image of the other person. I strip them of their humanity, and I create this like one-dimensional caricature of who they really are that ultimately just reduces them to their lowest moment. And as a caveat, like I hate it when people do that to me. But I've done that to people, I have to admit, and maybe you have too. And all that to say, like, that is not an appropriate response to our wounds because in that scenario, nobody heals. And also, like, furthermore, I think this is even more um, powerful in my mind at least. I think this is just a terribly dishonoring way to treat another human being who's made in the likeness and image of a holy God. So that's, 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 you know, what, what our wounds unhealed can do as far as distorting the image of other people. But they can also distort our own self-image. Because what happens when we nurse our anger and our bitterness towards someone is what we end up, what we end up doing is creating a caricature of ourself that's either like airbrushed with self-pity or self-righteousness or a little bit of both. And we, we lose sight of who we really are. We lose sight of the areas in our lives that actually need to change. And we get so focused on what we went through or what they put us through that we're, we end up making some really terrible decisions because we believe we deserve it or we believe they deserve it. And what ends up happening is we never actually heal from any of our wounds. And if we don't heal from our wounds, we end up wounding people in some of the same ways that we've been wounded. And so whenever we do things that distort our own self-image, I think what we don't realize is we're just sabotaging our own healing. And so what we're told by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 is that the only way to heal your wounds is to respond to the people who've who've wounded you by doing good. And I, I, I think this takes a hopeful, prayerful, like, prayer-saturated endurance, and the aim of that kind of endurance ultimately is healing. So that's the aim of endurance. Next, I want to I show you the way of endurance. And uh, this really is just my attempt to give you some practical ways to walk in endurance. So the first way uh, of endurance is prayer. Here's what verse, verse 14 says. It says, bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. And, and what this is, is it's almost an, uh, a direct quote of something that Jesus said and taught. Only Jesus phrased it a little differently. Here's what he said. He said, love your enemies. Super tall order. Like insanely crazy order in some ways. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And, and I think it's a tall order, but it's also incredibly practical because it's, it, you, can, you can respond to anyone who's wounded you in this way, but, the, but, but there's a lot of nuance here. Like, this isn't an easy thing to do depending on how you've been wounded. And so if you're at a place in your life where you've been wounded by someone else and you're still wrestling with bitterness and resentment and anger towards the person who's hurt you, I, here's all I'm encouraging you to do. Just take that as a cue. Take that as a cue to pray for that person. And I know this can be difficult depending on the kind of wounding that you've suffered. Or, or maybe the pain is so deep that, that you're doing everything that you can to, to like delete that person's memory from the files, not think about them, you're avoiding them. Maybe that's where you're at. And if that's where you're at, here's what I want you to, to know about God. God is inviting you to approach him with all of that anger and all of that bitterness and all of that heaviness that you're carrying around. And he's, he's guaranteed, he's promised to meet you amidst that. And you know what prayer isn't? Prayer is not a place where you have to be polite. Prayer is a place where God, the God of the universe, who knows everything already, he's inviting you to be brutally honest about what's actually going on in your own heart. And so if you don't want to pray for the person that's wounded you, here's, here's what I can offer you. Ask, like, admit that. Admit it and then ask God to help you get to a place where you're willing to pray for them. And that might be a small start, but, but small start is still a start. And small starts can yield big outcomes. And even if all you're praying is, God, help me pray for that idiot, it's a start. Like, what I, just, just start. And here's what I think you'll learn if you start, if you're willing to take that step. Eventually, you'll get to the place where you're praying God's blessing over their life. Where, where, where their well-being beca becomes a high interest in your mind. And you're asking God to give them a life-changing encounter with himself that would put them on a different trajectory. And here's, here's, here's the other thing I think you'll discover. It's hard. It's hard to be mad at somebody when you're entering the presence of God and you're praying God's blessing over their life. So that's the first way of endurance. The second way of endurance is humility. Here's what verse 16 says. It says, do not be proud. Instead... Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I think one of the things that drives our anger and resentment toward the people who wound us is, th is the fact that some of us are walking around with a real superiority complex. What, I, what I'm getting at there is some of us, we, we tend to see ourselves as superior and the people who hurt us as, as inferior. As, as a, we see ourselves as the kind of people who would never do that to anyone. We would never cross that boundary or, or make a decision like that or say something like that. But the fact of the matter is this, we're all human. And as far as I've understood my own life and the lives of people who I know, we have this limitless capacity to wound people in ways that we didn't even realize we're going to be wounding. And here's, here's what I think humility means, at least to some degree. It means you have a realistic understanding of your own humanity. You have a realistic understanding of your own ability to wound other people, your own sinfulness, and you have a realistic understanding of this deep need you have for forgiveness. 
So that's the second way of, of endurance. It's humility. The third way of endurance is, is forgiveness. And, and by now, if you've, if you've looked at this verse, you probably notice that the word forgiveness isn't in it. It's not included in this passage. And, and you're not wrong. It's not. But there is a very concrete picture, at least from my vantage point, of forgiveness, and it's in verse 18. And it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. And, and uh, to help us get to the depth of what's here and what this means, uh, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of some things that Jesus said. Uh, there, there, there's a message that Jesus delivered. We commonly refer to it as the Sermon on the Mountain. And what that message really was, was Jesus outlining like the, the high ethics of, of his kingdom. And some of the things that he said there were, don't murder. But then he chased that with, don't hate people in your heart either. He said, don't commit adultery. But then he chased that with, don't lust after another person in your heart either. Don't steal, but don't envy in your heart either. Which means Jesus wasn't just addressing outward behavior, and he wasn't just addressing inward behavior. He was actually addressing both, which makes his ethic one of the most troubling challenging, hard things for people. It doesn't matter what you believe. Generally speaking, when people of outside of the Christian faith read stuff like that, they're like, what in the, how's anybody ever gonna do any of that? But, but the point I think Jesus was getting at is you don't have to put your hate on display for it to have the power to be wounding. And more importantly, I think Jesus was inviting us to not get so focused on outward behavior that we forget to look to the interior and actually examine what's going on in our own hearts. Endurance marked by forgiveness, here's what it means. It means you're not taking revenge outwardly, but you're also not doing it inwardly. And of all the things that in this life that require endurance, I think forgiveness registers as maybe the hardest, if not one of the hardest, because it comes with the highest cost. And it always is more costly to the forgiver or the person doing the forgiving. But according to Jesus, I'm not making this stuff up, according to Jesus, it's always worth it. And so the endurance to forgive, here's what it means. It means you're not going to directly retaliate and try to hurt the other person who's wounded you. It also means you're not going to indirectly retaliate by talking them down to other people or talking them down to yourself or harboring hate and resentment and anger towards them in your own heart, it also means you're not going to give in to rewinding the tapes and replaying every statement and every situation and every circumstance. And when you're tempted to replay the tapes in a way that only is ever going to harbor your own anger, resentment, and hate towards that other person, here's, here's what you're going to do. Here's what endurance looks like. You're just going to refuse to do that. That's all that is. You're going to refuse to do that. And I think endurance, here's what it can empower us to do, to forgive the people who've wounded us even if we're still angry, even if we're not ready. For, look, forgiveness at the end of the day, here's what it is. It's something that Jesus commanded his followers to do. And I think there are things that Jesus commands his followers to do, and there are things that he commands his followers to avoid. He only tells us to avoid things that, that eat at the fabric of our souls, that eat at our own well-being. And the things he commands us to do, really, they're only ever for the purpose of healing every bit of brokenness we're carrying around in our souls. And so when Jesus commands us to forgive, 
which he does, and it's recorded in Mark eleven twenty five. Here's what he says when he commanded us to forgive. He, he's, and he's commanding us to forgive because it is with our own healing in mind. Here's what he says. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your wrongdoing. Jesus doesn't say hold off until they come to their senses or they come crawling back and begging you to let them off the hook. He says forgive the people who've wounded you the moment you come to grips with the fact that they've wounded you. And I think he's showing us something even deeper there, that human beings, every single human being, no matter what you believe or what you think you believe, human beings have a universal need for forgiveness. And people who don't forgive, people who don't think it's necessary or they think that it's some way for your, you know, the person who's hurt you to get off the hook, people who don't forgive, I think one thing that, they, that they're really struggling with is, is the fact that they're out of touch with one of the things that they need most. And Jesus isn't the only one that offers uh, this view on forgiveness. He's not the only one with this conviction. Um, there, there, many people believe this, and there are other worldviews that even hold to this. But um, one that I want to share with you, it's from a woman named Han- uh, Hannah Arendt. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, so sorry, Hannah, if you're still out there. Um, she's a Jewish political philosopher who writes uh, in response to or in light of the Holocaust. And she's talking about forgiveness. Here's what she says. Without being forgiven, released from the consequences of what we have done, our capacity to act would, as it were, be confined to one single deed from which we could never recover. We would remain the victims of its consequences forever, not unlike the sorcerer's apprentice who lacked the magic formula to break the spell. Look, I think what she is suggesting here is there really is no future without forgiveness. Forgiveness is what our souls need. It's what the people who've wounded us need, and without it, humanity never heals. Forgiveness is where we find healing and restoration, and it's the way that we heal a wounded world by healing each and every one of our wounded hearts. And it takes endurance to incur the cost of forgiving the people who've wounded us. So that's the third way. The fourth way of endurance is reconciliation. Let's look at what verse 18 says. It says, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. If possible, I think that's, the key, that's a key phrase there, if possible. If possible, fight the urge to be cold toward the people who've wounded you. If possible, fight the urge to cut them completely out of your lives. If possible, fight the urge to avoid the people who've hurt you. What this doesn't mean is that we should just throw the boundaries out the door and, 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 and give people access, open access to us who've really, really hurt us deeply or, or, be open, or open ourselves up to everyone who's ever wounded us. That's not what this means. If possible means that sometimes it's not possible. It means that sometimes it's not wise, it's not safe, and it's not healthy to try to reconcile with the people who've wounded us. And what I'm really driving at here is that the way of endurance, the way of endurance that's, that's, that's steeped in reconciliation, it means whenever possible, we leave the door open to reconciliation. And it might even seem like the door's closed. Or sometimes the door's just cracked a tiny bit. But we strive to be the kind of people who, when possible, we just don't lock the door completely. We're open to reconciliation. We don't deliberately shut people out 
or avoid people because doing that, we understand that doing that can be a form of retaliation. And so instead of all out cutting people out of our lives completely, we have the endurance that leaves the door open for reconciliation. Now, the fifth way of endurance is wisdom. Take a look at verse 20. It says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This verse, at least from where I sit, it, 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 it's almost like a picture of what it looks like to bless those who persecute you by giving the person who persecuted you or hurt you or wounded you what they need. And this is far beyond refraining from retaliating against them or, or forgiving people from a distance. It, it, it's more than that. It's more than responding to a felt need or sending someone who wounded you a gift to say, hey, I'm still there and it's not over and maybe there's a chance. It's not that. I think what this means is something a little bit deeper than that. It just, it means that you're open to doing things that contribute to the healing of the people who've wounded you. And this requires a ton of wisdom. It requires a ton of vulnerability. And it requires a willingness to confront the people who've wounded you. Because frankly, that might be what the person who's wounded you needs most. It might be the most loving thing that you can do for the person that's wounded you is to confront them. And that's what they need. They don't need you to trust them. They don't need you to puff them up. They don't need you to encourage them. What they need most is perhaps for you to confront them. And I just want to say there's a ton of nuance to this. In fact, there's a ton of nuance to all of this um, that I don't even have the time or the knowledge base to really dive into that deeply. But there's a lot of nuance here. And one of the nuances is this. It's not always wise to, the, to confront the people who wound us. But when it is, when it is a wise move, if we're not careful to forgive them first, Confronting them, really what it'll end up being is our way of retaliating. It'll be our way of unloading our anger, and it won't lead to healing. It'll only lead to deeper hurt. And if you approach someone who's wounded you, right, and you're still wound up about the pain they caused and the things they said and all the ways they let you down, if you're still wound up about all of that, if you confront out of pride or from a place of bitterness or from a place of angry, anger and your only intention is to tell the other person how terrible they are, I would just ask you to take a moment and consider who you're doing that for. Because I know when I approach people in that way, I have to admit that I'm only confronting them for my sake. It's not for their sake or for their healing. But endurance marked by wisdom means you're approaching the people who've wounded you with their good as your highest interest. You're approaching them with humility. You've forgiven them to the degree that when you do confront them, you're able to do it in a way that can be received, in a way that leaves room for the other person to say, man, what you're saying is one of the hardest things I've ever heard. It's, it's actually kind of hurtful. I'm not even sure that I see it the way that you see it. But what I can see, what's abundantly clear, is that you're only confronting me. You're only bringing this up because you genuinely care about me as a person and you genuinely care about the kind of person I'm becoming. So look, look, this might sound like neatly packaged or whatever, and like it's uh, I'm trying to sell you, uh, and here's how you resolve all your conflict and reconcile. Like this is not a silver bullet. It's not bulletproof. It's not airtight. Sometimes it goes terribly wrong. That's not what, I'm not suggesting that this is going to always work the way that I'm saying that it works. Here's what I am suggesting. 
that when you approach people in a way that makes it clear that you love them and care about them, that you're more interested in their growth and development as a person, that you're more interested in them experiencing the love of God and the grace, the grace of God more so than proving a point, the odds that they will actually lean in to what you have to say, I think they're going to be greater than if you come in hot and loud and confrontational and you're getting nasty with people all for the purpose of shaming them or making them feel guilty or giving them the, the justice that you feel like they deserve. Look, I, I, I don't think I have to convince you that, I, that, that we're living, like we're navigating a world and, and it's wounded. I think in some ways more so than anyone's willing to admit. And so with that, what I think a wounded world needs most is it needs people with the endurance to refuse to retaliate when they're wounded. It needs people who are walking in humility, people who are willing to forgive and seek reconciliation, and people who have the wisdom to know when and how to confront in a way that brings healing in a way that is going to stop the trajectory that people who wound other people are on. And when I think about, when I think about the dynamics of endurance and this, this idea of being able to endure anything without losing hope, or I think about um, the aim of endurance and the, and, and the fact that I, what I suggested was the aim of endurance is healing. And when I think about the way of endurance and I think about things like prayer and humility and forgiveness and wisdom and reconciliation and all that, like I think that sounds really, really powerful. And what I'm convinced of is I think my life would look differently if I actually had that kind of endurance. And, and I have to admit, like as, as amazing as that may sound, it sounds like incredibly impossible as far as something that we have the capacity to achieve. And so, so to close today, I want to talk a little bit about what I think is the secret to all this, the secret to endurance, the secret to getting this supernatural endurance to be the kind of people that can face not just our wounds, but anything com that comes our way in a way that will heal a wounded world. And, and this, is the, this is what I think is the secret to being able to endure the most painful parts of reality without losing hope. I think it's the secret to an endurance that conquers evil with good. I think it's the secret to walking in an endurance marked by prayer, humility, forgiveness, reconciliation, and wisdom. I think, and I think the secret to, to that kind of endurance, it's found in verse 19. Here's what verse 19 says. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now there are some, a couple of really heavy words in that passage. Uh, one of them's wrath and the other one's vengeance. And, and I think those are words that maybe make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Or, or if you're a person that doesn't quite like believe um, you know, that Jesus is who he says he is, or maybe you haven't, you're, you're not a person that has really like believes that Christianity is even a worldview worth following. You hear words like wrath and vengeance and you connect those to God. And you're, you're probably saying, I don't even know if I want, want to be connected or associated with a God who's, who's focused on wrath and vengeance. So let me tell you what I think, and I, like, I can completely understand that, but let me, let me try to tell you what I think the heart of this passage is. 
Because here's what I think it is. I don't think the heart of it is wrath and vengeance. I think it's something bigger, something more profound, something way more transformative than wrath and vengeance. I think this verse is trying to get at the fact that the God of the universe, the one who knows exactly how everything is supposed to be, the one who knows exactly how ruptured everything is, the one who knows, he's fully aware He's fully aware of every injustice, every wound, every heartache, every loss, every inhumane thing that's ever unfolded in the history of humanity. The God of the universe who knows better than we know the deepest longings of the human heart. Here's what the heart of this passage is. He's promised, he has promised to fix absolutely everything. And he's gonna do it in a way that completely and fully deals with every injustice and fully heals every wound and completely restores all the brokenness that we know is in us and we feel around us. And he's he's gonna accomplish that in a very specific way. And in the way that he's accomplishing that is through his son, Jesus. And I wanna wanna share something that uh, a prophet by the name of Isaiah spoke about Jesus Hundreds of years before Jesus even walked this earth. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Here's, here's, here's what he said about Jesus. And I think, I think there's, there's a degree to which this is what we all, our hearts are yearning for. We're, we're yearning for someone like this to come into our lives. Here's what Isaiah said. He said, Jesus was pierced because of our transgressions. Jesus was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Jesus and were healed by Jesus' wounds. Look, Jesus endured everything we deserve. That wrath and that vengeance that we deserve, Jesus endured every bit of that. And he did it with an endurance that was saturated with hope and marked by prayer and humility and forgiveness and reconciliation and wisdom. Because here's what Jesus never did. Jesus never retaliated. And in fact, if you were there the day that Jesus bore his own cross up to Golgotha and the day that he was crucified in public space where where you could have seen him and heard him and you you could have heard the, the outcry of the mob that was crying, crucify him. Here's how Jesus responded. He didn't retaliate. You would have heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them they know not what they're doing. He never retaliates against the people who wound him. He never loses patience with us. He never reduces us to our lowest moment. He he never takes our future away from us. He never cuts us out. He never avoids us. He never jumps ship. He never abandons us. And when you start to see that the affliction Jesus endured was for your sake, it'll begin to transform you into the kind of person who has the endurance to walk through the most painful parts of life without losing hope. Seeing Jesus in this way is the secret to having an endurance that overcomes evil with good. It's the secret to walking in an endurance that's marked by prayer, humility, forgiveness, reconciliation, and wisdom. Now, now as followers of Jesus, and this, is, this has been true of followers of Jesus for a really long time since people been following Jesus. Our hope is not that everything's going to work out today. 
our hope is that eventually everything is going to work out. That eventually a day is coming when everything's going to be set right. When every injustice is going to be put to an end. When every pain is going to be healed. When every cry is going to be transformed into laughter and joy. When the promise of Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 becomes a reality that we can experience. This is our hope. And here's the promise. And all I'm encouraging you to do is just let this sink into the depths of your heart and let it influence the way that you face whatever it is that you're walking through right now. Here's what Revelation 21 verses 4 and 5 says. It says, look, and it's talking about a future. It's talking about a hope. It's talking about something that's on the way, something that is legitimately coming. It says, look, God is dwelling. God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist because the previous things have passed away. Look, everything we're enduring right now is meant to be taken as a reminder that things, things aren't as they, they ought to be and that this is not the end. Hope is on the way. The future is bright and the best is yet to come. And because of this hope, this inextinguishable, imperishable hope that we have in Jesus, there's not affliction. There's not an affliction we'll endure on this side of life that can take any of that away from us. And in fact, in fact, what this ultimately means is that God is the kind of God that's capable of orchestrating the events of our lives, even the most painful ones, in a way that brings healing. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, um, God, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier to say stuff like this than it is to actually believe it. And I'm just asking that you'd help us to be the kind of people that actually put our hope in you. That we put our hope in the fact that you saw us in a state that we couldn't get ourselves out of. And you sent your son Jesus and he lived a life that we couldn't live. And he died a death that we deserved. And he was raised from the dead and put, it, put an end, an ultimate end to sin and death and all the afflictions that we experience in this life that, that, that seem to have the power to crush us, the power of all of those things has been completely absorbed by Jesus' faithful life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. Help us to be the kind of people that build our lives on that, to be the kind of people who have the endurance, the, the endurance that's marked by prayer, an endurance that's marked by humility and forgiveness and reconciliation and wisdom. Help us to be the kind of people who walk in an endurance that can bring healing to a wounded world. Jesus, we love you, and we're counting on you to, to, to do exactly what you need to do in our lives and to transform us into the people that we know we want to be, people who help heal a wounded world. And all God's people said, amen.